Anytime I started thinking about my situation, about how hopeless it could be, I just imagined all of the other warriors in that hospital fighting their own fight, not giving up, going through their own difficulties. And it put it in so much perspective. I could have been so much worse. And I wasn't going to give up on them. I wasn't going to fail them. I had a responsibility to my brothers and sisters in uniform. Welcome to AUSA's Army Matters podcast, focusing on what's important to the total Army community. We bring vital Army conversations and interviews on issues relevant to soldiers, military families, and all of you amazing Army supporters. Rotating each week, our show includes Soldier Today, Leading Great Teams, Family Voices, and Thought Leaders. Let's tune into the show. Hello, everyone. I'm Sergeant Major of the Army retired Dan Daly, and welcome to today's episode of Soldier Today. Each year, tens of thousands of soldiers leave the Army, whether it's after one or two terms or even 20 plus years. Some go to school, some go to work, and others pursue the American dream of owning their own business. After six years as an expert EOD technician in the military, today's guest, Aaron Hale, became blind. The moment an unseen improvised explosive device exploded in his face in Afghanistan in December of 2011. In the years that followed, Aaron rehabilitated himself to an extent most sighted people would envy, running marathons, climbing mountains, and even solo whitewater rafting. Today, Aaron is a successful co-owner of EOD Fudge, but his story is much more than how to create a successful veteran-owned small business. It's a tale of overcoming adversity, facing challenges, and prevailing despite overwhelming odds against him. Aaron, welcome to the Soldier Today Show. Thanks for having me, Sergeant Major. I'm glad to be here. I thought we'd begin, as we always do here on Soldier Today, by getting to know our guest. Aaron, could you share with us a little bit about yourself? Where'd you grow up, and how is it that you became an explosive ordnance disposal technician in the Army? Well, it was, a, it was a very roundabout way, actually. I absolutely knew my entire life growing up until about a month before I joined the military. I'd never be in the military. I grew up in Akron, Ohio. Um, was a very aloof, uh, didn't have a whole lot of ambition, uh, didn't have my priorities uh, in line. So after a few semesters of spinning my wheels, I decided that I, I had to find a new way. And military was the right answer for me. Plus, I'd wasted a whole bunch of tuition, and I needed that GI Bill. Yeah. I first joined the Navy as a cook. I was going to go to culinary school, but along the way, I'd also get those, those core values, you know, the work ethic. I learned how to love uh, being a bigger part, a part of something that was bigger than me. I also learned that I loved being in the military. And so uh, four years turned into eight. However, this was uh, you know, early 2000s. My first four years were in Italy, which was not a hardship duty by any means. <laughs> so yeah. when I got to Naples, Italy, on my first assignment as a shore duty, I asked where I was going to be cooking. And they said, oh, no, no, no. You're going to be the night clerk at the barracks. 
<laughs> not what you wanted to do. Not exactly. I spent two years in barracks duty and I'd earned my way up to flag duty in Gaeta, Italy, just 45 minute PCS away. Uh, and I was, I was getting to cook real food. I actually skipped right past the, the whole, you know, big mess hall on, on a carrier and started cooking for the Admiral, his top brass doing you know throwing receptions when we pulled into foreign parts and while i was both on duty and off out of uniform i was getting to see the mediterranean europe it was amazing that's incredible so how did you get to being an explosive ordnance disposal technician in the army do you remember when president bush had given that ultimatum to saddam hussein yeah and the very moment the time was up, we started launching uh, missiles into Iraq. Yeah. I was in the middle of the Mediterranean, and the chief of staff was standing right there and literally could see from the destroyers, uh, you know, off our bow missiles taken off from sea, flying over Turkey, and then we could go in and turn on the television and watch them land. And while that was an amazing experience and kind of surreal, uh, it also put my service into a different type of perspective. I wanted to serve in another capacity. And it, it wasn't in the it wasn't in the dining hall or the mess. So I requested to become a volunteer individual augmentee on a PRT, provincial reconstruction team, in Afghanistan. Of course, I'd be cooking. But while I was there, I met some EOD technicians. And I assume that there was a calling there. I mean, you realized these people are doing a mission that, and you felt a connection to it. Absolutely. And once I arrived in Afghanistan, I met this team of EOD technicians. And one day they had all their gear out of their, their armored truck. Yeah, their, their robots, their um, bomb suits, all that other equipment was just kind of strewn out as they were doing maintenance checks on everything. And it, made, it was like a cool guy garage sale. But uh, I struck up a conversation, started learning more about the tight-knit brotherhood within the military, uh, the technical aspect of the job, and of course, the fact that you get to be lifesavers, first responders, on the battlefield. Everything about it, just, it, it keyed me in and that's what I knew I needed to do. So I put in a request with the Navy to strike over from Cook, culinary specialist, to EOD. Well, that's a loss for the Navy, but a win for the Army. We got, uh, we got you over there as an EOD tech. Aaron, I'll, I'll jump right into it. In December of 2011, while you were serving in Afghanistan, your life was drastically changed forever. Can you share the tragic events of that day with our listeners? In 2011, I'd gone from Army EOD sergeant to team leader. I was running my own three-person team. My team deployed once to Iraq and then deployed the second time to Afghanistan. And I was eight months into a 12-month rotation. My team and everybody in the battle space was very busy. This was the Kandahar province. Yeah. 
And I've just come back from my two weeks of uh, R&R, where I'd gotten to go back to the D.C. area, uh, where my family got together for Thanksgiving. I got to see my firstborn turn one. It was a fantastic last page in the photo album. Because mm-hmm. when I got back, I threw my luggage back in my own armored truck. And my team uh, started driving from the airfield back towards our uh, command outpost within this this convoy. We weren't quite on duty, and this wasn't really our AO, but we were an EOD team in a convoy when the convoy commander calls back and says, I've got something up ahead. Can you take a look? So I tossed the, the luggage off of the robot, the robot out of the truck, and it found a pressure plate IED. Part of our job on the battlefield is, uh, is like uh, CSI, you know, crime scene investigation. We want to get some of that evidence so we can get left of the blast on the timeline. Yeah. So I jumped out with a metal detector and an evidence kit and started making my way towards it. About 20 or 30 meters from the original IED, there was a secondary device. Hadn't yet been detected and... Uh, that exploded. The blast, I guess, luckily hit me only in the head, but from my neck down, I was virtually untouched. So it took both of my eyes, blew up both my eardrums, it cracked my skull, and a few places where I was leaking spinal fluid right out of my nose. Hmm. Within 48 hours, I was right back in DC. I was in Bethesda, Walter Rigna. Aaron, within a few short years of losing your sight, you were running marathons, climbing mountains, and even solo whitewater kayaking. Now, these are activities that most people who have full sight cannot accomplish. Can you share your road to recovery and what inspired you along the way during that journey? Anytime I started thinking about my situation, about how hopeless it could be, I just imagined all of the other warriors in that hospital fighting their own fight, not giving up, going through their own difficulties. And it put it in so much perspective. I could have been so much worse. And I wasn't going to give up on them. I wasn't going to fail them. I had a responsibility to my brothers and sisters in uniform. I also have a fantastic family that just swarmed into that hospital. My sister is a uh, pediatric ICU nurse and she translated everything for the rest of us, uh, you know, all the doctor jargon, as well as cracking the whip on the staff. It was great. I owe a portion of my life to every one of them. So I wear these hats. I'm, I'm, I'm a soldier, I'm a sergeant, I'm a EOD team leader. I'm also a father, brother, son, and all of those roles, I'm responsible to stakeholders. So if I ever wanted to decide to you know, make that quick and final end and give up, I would have to do it by committee, and I don't think I have the votes. I not only decided at Walter Reed that I, if I was going to be blind, I was going to be the best darn blind guy I could be. And that's what led me into the mountains and running and kayaking and just connecting with my family. Aaron, that is an incredible story of perseverance, determination, and resiliency. But unfortunately, your loss of sight wouldn't be the only challenge you'd had to face. Can you tell us 
about what happened to you in August of 2015? In September of 2015, I'd actually come off of this amazing uh, trip where I'd gone hunting in Texas, climbing three 14,000 foot peaks in Colorado in a day, kayaking class three rapids in Montana. And I'd come home, had this week-long first date with a childhood friend who'd come to visit me from California on our vacation. And we just had a fantastic time. So she had to get back to work and I did too. Just a couple days later, I'm flying back home. I'm coming into the house and I felt uh, very fatigued and extremely dizzy. I didn't know which way the world was, and I was expecting it to come and slap me in the face. It just was this incredible, I guess, vertigo-type feeling. And I lay down for a nap, and moments later, I woke up with this excruciating pain. And I immediately knew I needed a call, 911. And thankfully, I live about a mile and a half from the hospital. They came quickly. They determined that I'd contracted bacterial meningitis. So I was out of it for about four days. When I came out of it, I couldn't really hear. It felt like I was underwater. The doctor told me that the bacteria, either the bacteria or the heavy doses of antibiotics, were stealing what was left of my hearing that the bomb hadn't taken. So, of course, the first thing I said to the doctor was, So, what you're telling me is I'm going to be completely blind and completely deaf. I'm never going to have to ever pretend to pay attention ever again. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's a way of looking at it, but (laughs) yeah. Of course, by that time, my family had flown in. I had my mom and my new girlfriend in the office with the doctor, and I didn't hear them laugh. Of course, that could have been the deafness. Well, obviously, you can hear me now. So how are you doing that now? I spent a few weeks in the hospital and then I finally made it back to my house. So I came home in a wheelchair. Yeah. I had to start from scratch in learning how to adapt to deafness. And what the doctors had told me is that there was a chance I could restore my hearing, but it would take it would take time with this this cochlear implant. And it would take months and months of Uh, what they call mapping. And it's like hitting a bullet with a bullet. Your brain is actually learning how to interpret this new digital signal while they continuously tweak the signal that the output, like tuning in the highs and lows so the brain can hear it. So it was actually over six months that I was in complete silence and darkness before I could even hear what was coming through the implant. Then it took months after that to start actually understanding uh, another human voice. It's incredible. And now there are thousands of veterans in America that have received debilitating injuries in the defense of our country. What advice would you give those of them that may be struggling with their disabilities? You got to lean into it. You got to just keep putting one foot forward. Your life is a mission. You got to make the best of it. 
And it's one of those skills that developed as an EOD technician. You know, we get, we're irresponsible for everything that explodes from bullets to nuclear weapons. And we started to do the job with the tools we have at hand. And then we get to Afghanistan and it's all dismounted patrols. Now we're taking what we can carry on our backs. And we still have the same job title, same responsibility. And we still got to do it, but we have to use it with our creativity and the resources at hand, such as our, our teammates, fellow people in our, our patrol, and what we can call up. And the one thing I realized, just like on the battlefield, is that the more we have to rely on our training, the more we have to rely on our creativity, innovation, ingenuity, the stronger we get. And that's why I credit going deaf, going blind, with being the catalyst for doing these adventures and then becoming an entrepreneur, connecting uh, you know, with my children better than I ever had before, and, and, and just living life uh, even more passionately than I did before I'd gone blind and deaf. Aaron, I think everybody in America needs to hear what you just said. And we'll hear more from Aaron after this break and find out how he got into the fudge business and the confectionery business. Have you purchased your AUSA swag yet? Be proud to show your support for AUSA, which in turn shows your support for the U.S. Army and our soldiers. Check out all AUSA swag at shop.ausa.org. We're back and talking with Aaron Hale, who has overcome extreme adversity to become a very successful entrepreneur. Aaron, you are the creator and proprietor of a Florida-based Extraordinary Delights, also known as EOD Fudge. How does a former sailor and EOD technician in the United States Army find themselves in the fudge business? Thanksgiving was coming up. I decided to take the, the focus off of me and the healing and all that other stuff. And I would just throw this huge Thanksgiving feast. And the cooking itself was a form of therapy. It was something that I could still do. Uh, muscle memory, sense of smell, touch, all that. And I just started preparing weeks in advance. Uh, in fact, the desserts, I make cakes and cookies and pies, and I just put them in the freezer. And then I started making batch after batch of fudge. And it was just getting, it was me having fun, being creative. And I was taking one batch after another to throw spices and the nuts and, and whatever I could. And my girlfriend, my now wife, said she noticed two things. One was a smile on my face. She hadn't seen that in six months. And two, she noticed that the fudge was just piling up. <laughs> so uh, there, was, there was more than even the, the, the huge crowd that we invited could eat. So she started sneaking it out the front door. Uh, I say sneaking like a three-year-old stealthy around a blind deaf guy. But she gave it away to some friends and neighbors, and they started coming back and asking if they could buy some for an upcoming birthday party or baby shower. And the capitalist in me said, well, of course you may. And uh, business was born and just kind of snowballed. We didn't know what we were doing. We were breaking things and uh, learning as we went. It quickly grew, and we were quickly getting corporate orders. And we were also getting these dual contracts where people were asking me to return to speaking, and they would buy our treats to go around the tables. 
it just worked out fantastic. You know, most small businesses fail in the first few years, and, and the chocolate confectionery industry is, is very competitive. How have you beaten the odds and persevered? You know, I, I really enjoyed your conversation with uh, Kevin Ryan about his brewery. And it's, it's about sticking to quality and building yourself a, a brand. It's about your story. It's about matching your own personality with that of the business. And we just kept telling our story during the, the whole COVID quarantine time, um, we did also what many people did was uh, start a TikTok. Uh, but it was just me talking about military stuff, me and blindness, and then demonstrating a, a few things in the kitchen. Eventually, I was full showing, demonstrating full recipes, and we called it Aaron Hales Cooking Without Looking. <laughs> That is incredibly catchy. That is a really good slogan. Yeah. And then obviously it took off from there. We were attracted to you because we saw a new story about you, about EOD Fudge. What advice would you give our veterans considering entrepreneurship following service? As far as it goes with entrepreneurship, it's a series of failures put together that leads to success. And where most entrepreneurs uh, do actually fail is when they get discouraged and quit. It's the s successful entrepreneurs that aren't deterred by the setbacks. You just got to keep pushing through, use that creativity, innovation, and become a problem solver. Our time has come to an end. As Army alums, I can say for all of us across the country, Thank you, Aaron, for sharing your inspiring story and the incredible service you provide for all of us. Join us next week here in the studio for another great podcast. To all our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Army Matters podcast on iTunes and everywhere podcasts are found. The Army Matters podcast series is brought to you by the Association of the United States Army, the U.S. Army's professional association, member-supported, Army-connected. Visit us at AUSA.org for more information or to become a member. Your membership helps AUSA continue to carry out its mission to educate, inform, and connect with the total Army, our industry partners, and our supporters of a strong national defense. For questions or to provide topic recommendations, email us at podcast at AUSA.org. Have a great Army day. Hua.